Previously on Back to the Future, Marty McFly has returned to 1985 with a surprised car in his garage, with Jennifer Parker showing up from behind. As Marty and Jennifer are about to share a kiss, Doc Brown arrives from the future to bring Marty and Jennifer back to the future. The reason why? Well, something must be done about Marty and Jennifer's kids. The trio are in the time machine ready to go back in time because where we go, we don't need roads. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Kodo Cinema, the podcast show where I talk, talk about movies. I'm your host, the man, the myth, the legend, Mark Kodo. Like that little intro I just did? It's basically a recap from last week's episode because today's episode, I'm going to review Back to the Future Part 2. Back to the Future Part 2 is the sequel to 1985's Back to the Future. It came out in November November 1989, four years after the original. Not many people were expecting a sequel, but if the ending of the first installment proves one thing, audiences are wanting more. And that is what we got. A sequel. While critics and audiences loved the film, the reviews were more mixed after its release, but was later reappraised. Some critics said that, the Back, that Back to the Future Part 2 is one of Zemeckis' best films, and almost 31 years later, the film still holds up, just like the first one. But the question is, why were people split on the sequel? Well, once I review the movie, maybe I can go into more detail. But first, a recap. Robert Zemeckis didn't plan to do a sequel, but after the film's success of the first Back to the Future movie, he decided to direct the sequel. Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd returned for the sequel, along with writer Bob Gale. In fact, Bob Gale actually wrote most of the screenplay while Robert Zemeckis went on to direct 1988's Who Framed Roger Rabbit, along with composer Alan Silvestri and Christopher Lloyd, who played the villainous Judge Doom. Before leaving to direct Roger Rabbit, Zemeckis brought up the idea of time paradoxes, and he thinks that the time paradoxes will be a good opportunity to go back to 1955 in a different way. Zemeckis was also hesitant about the future because of inaccurate predi predictions. While it is a risk, Bob Gale said, and I quote, where what's wrong is due to who lives in the future as opposed to the technology. The sets and script took two years to complete. Production designer Rick Carter wanted to create the futuristic setting in a similar case to what 1982's Blade Runner had. Bob Gale even pushed the script to a humorous level as well. While most of the cast from the first film are on board with the sequel, Crispin Glover and Claudia Wells were not. Claudia Wells, who played Jennifer Parker, left production for personal reasons, and Jennifer Hsu was cast as Marty's girlfriend. That meant the last scene from the first film had to be reshoot for the sequel with, with minor changes. With uh, one of the few minor changes is adding Biff for for the opening scene for the opening scene showing Marty the the matches that he has for his auto detailing, which pretty much explains why. On top of that, Crispin Glover, who played Marty's father George McFly, could not come to an agreement with the producers about his salary, so the producers casted Jeffrey Wiseman, who who wore prosthetic makeups to resemble. Glover's character. However, Crispin Glover and 
he successfully, and this is no joke, he successfully sued the producers and a, and a clause was added to Screen Actors Guild, where producers and actors are not allowed to use methods on re reproducing an actor's likeness. This is no joke, and I am dead serious on this. He did successfully sued the producers of Back to the Future Part 2. Although archive footage of Crispin Glover from the first Back to the Future movie was used in the 1955 time paradox for the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, Michael J. Fox also played three different characters for the future McFly family named Marty Sr., Marty Jr., and Marlene McFly, the daughter, with the motion control camera system. The sequel was shot back-to-back -back with Back to the Future Part 3, particularly the ending, and the Family Ties series coming to an end. And by the way, this is no joke. I am not making this up. Michael J. Fox also plays the daughter, Marlene McFly. So let us go back in time to where Back to the Future gets its very own sequel and more time traveling. This is Back to the Future Part 2. Oh, and as always... Spoiler alert. We are traveling back in time to the future as Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, Jennifer Parker, played by Jennifer Shu, and Dr. Emmett Brown, Christopher Lloyd, are inside the DeLorean. The two lovebirds are wondering when, when Doc is traveling to. Well, basically he's where, but like, when are we? <laughs> Doc said they are traveling to October 21st, 2015. 2015? We're in the future. That is right, folks. We are opening in the future. Great concept, folks. When Jennifer Parker heard the day and year, she begins to ask questions about her future life. Doc seems surprised about Jennifer asking futuristic questions, only for the doc to put Jennifer to sleep by using some type of, le of electronic sleeping device. Marty was surprised what the doc did, but doc did it because he didn't want Jennifer to know too much about about her knowledge of future events, even though he brought her along just because. The DeLorean lands in an alley on October 21st, 2015, as Doc gives Marty power-laced shoes, a futuristic jacket, and pretty much it, yeah. FYI, the power laces are cool in this scene. Jeez, if only we could get these types of shoe laces in today's time. Doc Brown went to check out Marty's future son just to see if they are on schedule for predictions. What is the prediction, you may ask? Well, let me quote this out. Within two hours of, of his arrest, Martin, Martin McFly Jr. was tried and convicted and sentenced to 15 years in the state penitentiary? That was, that was tomorrow's newspaper that the doc took when he went a day early to catch it. Especially the fact of how the future in this film abolished all lawyers. And this is, this is in the film, by the way. Long story short, Marty Jr. got into a criminal activity for that, for that event that was supposed to happen in tomorrow's newspaper for the film. This also explains why Marty dresses up like Marty Jr. Because Doc tells Marty to go to the Cafe 80s to get a Pepsi and wait for a guy named Griff, who was going to ask him about an evening opportunity, which is basically the event that happened in the newspaper. Marty accepts the mission from Doc. Before Marty and Doc split, they put Jennifer out of, out of the DeLorean and into the alley. Don't worry, she's fine. 
Marty walks out of the alley and into the heart of Hill Valley, which is the future of Hill Valley, with flying cars, hoverboards, rockets, futuristic set designs, etc. My god, this is breathtaking. I will admit, the set design and visual effects in this movie for the future of Hill Valley are great, and almost 31 years later, the visual effects still holds up. Especially, this, especially the scene where a CGI Jaws 19 is about to eat Marty McFly. The shark is still fake though, but I will say this, the CGI Jaws 19 is better than the upper lip mustache in the Justice League movie though. Yep. We later get to see Mayor Goldie Wilson III as the future mayor, promoting a brand new flying car while Marty went to check out an antique shop and hey look a Roger Rabbit doll from Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And yes, the sports al almanac. Marty walks inside the Cafe 80s for a Pepsi. Inside, Marty sees flying TVs, exercise bikes, Smurfs, family ties, an arcade game with a young Elijah Wood cameo, Ronald Reagan, Michael Jackson on the, on the TV screens, both Ronald Reagan and Michael Jackson on the TV screens. And uh-oh, hey McFly! It's old Biff Tannen, played by Thomas F. Wilson, who seems to think that Marty is Marty Jr., who tells him that his father is a loser with a capital L. Marty doesn't know what Biff is talking about until Biff knocks Marty on the head with his cane. Hello? Hello? Anyone home? Huh? Think, McFly. Think. Until his grandson, Griff, also played by Thomas F. Wilson, comes in about two colts of wax on his car, not just one, and tells McFly to not go anywhere. Suddenly, the complete wimp Marty Jr. walks into the cafe 80s ordering a Pepsi. So the, the 1985 Marty had to take cover. Griff walks in with three of his cohorts. Hey McFly! I thought I told you to stay in here! Griff and his cohorts start picking on Marty Jr. Like, like George McFly in the first film and ask Marty Jr. about tonight's opportunity. You probably know what I'm saying, right? Junior should discuss the opportunity with his father, with which ticks off Griff and throws him over the table. Marty sees his uh, future son and tells him to stay down and shut up. Basically, 1985, Marty knows what he's going to do. Marty disguises himself as Marty Jr. with the uh, cap on and stands up to Griff and tells him no. But Griff says, What's wrong, McFly? Chicken? Chicken, McFly. Marty replies, nobody calls me chicken. Well, Griff pulls out a bat as he is about to smack Marty with it, only to be smacked and electrocuted by the TV. Griff and Marty are about to go at it in the cafe. Marty tries to pull the oldest trick in the book, but Griff grabs his arm. Thanks for a short cir circuit. Doc uh, did brought this up beforehand. And Marty hits Griff in, in the nutsack and makes a run for it. Just like part one, there is a chase between Tannen and McFly through the heart of Hill Valley with a car and skateboard, but this time, it's a hoverboard chase. Marty borrows the little girl's Mattel hoverboard to escape Griff. It's amazing that Griff and his cohorts are, are chasing Marty on hoverboards just to bring in the expectations from the original film. Especially in the music from Alan Silvestri, though. His music and, and the Back to the Future movies are, are amazing. 
This time, Griff and his cohorts crash into City Hall. Well, well, batter up, buttheads. Okay, okay. I know a lot of people are recognizing that hoverboards in this movie look real, but many people are seeing it as a hoax. And and this is actually this is actually kind of what happened behind the scenes because some people thought it, some people thought the hoverboards in this movie are basically a joke. And it was never re released to the public, which was explained in the DVD commentary. After escaping the hoverboard gang, Marty is about to return the little girl's hoverboard, only for the girl to retrieve Griff's Pitbull hoverboard. Yes, Griff had uh, a Pitbull hoverboard. My god, that is a big hoverboard. A City Hall member swings by to ask Marty about donations to the clock tower at City Hall because lightning struck it 60 years ago. Marty sees a sports highlight of the Chicago Cubs baseball team winning the World Series against Miami. We were, we were, only, we were only a year off, folks. FYI, it was, a bird, it was a good birthday gift on November 3rd, 2016. And by the way, I was born on November 3rd, 1998. 2016, November 3rd, 2016 was a was an amazing birthday gift. The man wished if he can only go back in time to, to the game and put some money into it. By the way, the city hall member is Terry, who is also a car mechanic and the man responsible for charging Biff 300 bucks to the car. In fact, there's a deleted scene where Terry tells Marty that Biff was supposed to give Terry 300 bucks for the car and Biff tells Terry that he is living in the past. Don't worry folks, we'll hear more of the 300 bucks later on. By the way, Terry is played by comedian Charles Flesher who voiced Roger Rabbit in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Marty goes to the antique store to buy the sports almanac and walks out saying that he'll never lose. Yeah, you can say that again. Doc returns to see a crowd of people at City Hall, but Marty notices that the newspaper that, that Doc has changes. It turns out that Griff and his hoverboard gang are arrested for crashing into City Hall. I was framed! But wait, what about Marty Jr.? Apparently, the opportunity that Marty Jr. was going to do will not happen. Mission accomplished. Doc notices that Marty bought a sports almanac. Uh-oh. Marty told Doc that he thought he could go back in time and place a few bets. Somehow, going back in time and placing a few bets can only alter time in a matter of seconds. As the alm almanac was about to be thrown out of existence in the trash, Doc sees two police officers as they are taking Jennifer back to the, to the McFly house. Marty and Doc threw the al almanac in the trash can as they pursued the police for, police for, for Jennifer. Out of nowhere, old Biff Tanning grabs the sports almanac out of the trash can, giving him an idea of what to do with his past. Later that night, the police brought Jennifer back to the McFly house. Apparently, she wakes up to it. Jennifer checks out the house, sees a picture of her and Marty getting married at the Chapel of Love. Her daughter, Marlene, heard her mom's voice, but Jennifer hides in the closet Marlene comes downstairs, but instead hears the doorbell and sees Grandpa and Grandma George McFly and Lorraine McFly, played by Jeffrey Wiseman and Leah Thompson. Fun fact, that is Michael J. Fox playing Marlene McFly. 
Marty Sr. also comes comes home for dinner, played by Michael J. Fox as well, and sees his 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 junior son watching multiple channels on one TV screen. Marty and Doc are still driving through traffic until Doc feels a disturbance in the future. Somebody's following them. I'm pretty sure you know who I'm talking about, right? And speaking of which, uh, can you imagine George Lucas actually tagging along to Back to the Future because of that Star Wars reference that Doc made? Just, just imagine Robert Zemeckis, Steven Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, Frank March, Marshall, and George Lucas equals an Oscar-worthy film? Maybe. I wish. All right, getting out of the Star Wars reference, Doc and Marty made it to the future of the of the future McFly house, and Biff shows up in a taxi cab and stole the DeLorean going back in time. Back to the house, the McFly family are having pizza for dinner. In this scene, it's amazing how, how Michael J. Fox can play more than one character, since he is playing the son and daughter as well. It is also a fact that the technology has come a long way where a motion camera can step in and help out. This wasn't the first time an actor has played more than one character. In Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove, Peter Sellers played three different characters in different scenes. Lionel Mandrake, President Merkin Muffley, and the title character himself, Dr. Strangelove. Robert Zemeckis also does more films where where an actor also plays more than one role. For example, in The Polar Express, Tom Hanks not only plays the train conductor, but also the hero boy and Santa Claus. And I'm pretty sure I'm missing a few other characters as well. It's amazing how one actor can play multiple roles. Marty Sr. gets a phone call from his co-worker Needles, Needles played by musician Flea, who wants to ask Marty about a business deal that turned out to be a scam. Marty did it because he wants to prove Needles that he is not a chicken. Marty did it anyway and got fired. Oh, jeez. Doc sees Jennifer in the closet through the window and tells her to go out the front door by pressing her thumb on the door print. I mean, she's at the window. Why didn't Jennifer go out the window? It's right there. She could have easily opened it up. Okay, okay, maybe that's not how it works. So... Jennifer tries to escape the house, only for her to run into her future self, and she faints. Doc catches her and escapes with, with Jennifer outside. Biff returns for the past, and it looks like Biff is hurt. He is, because Biff is about to be erased from existence from altering his, his counterpart. And my god, there is another deleted scene where old man Biff gets erased. No, really, there is, there is another deleted scene. Marty, Doc, and Jennifer return to the DeLorean as they return to 1985, right after the turbulence from an airplane. Attention, attention, attention. This is your captain speaking. As you look down below of Hill Valley, you can see a flying DeLorean in the middle of the night. A flying DeLorean? What is, what is going on here? Marty and Doc return home as Marty notices that bars are on her windows. Marty, something is up. Marty returns to his house only to discover that someone else is living there until the farmer comes in with a bat to take him out. Okay, now you're in the wrong house, Marty. Marty bursts out the door and runs into a neighborhood that looks desolated with chalk drawings of fatalities, 
police cars driving down the street, windows and houses damaged. Marty finds a newspaper saying 1985, but he doesn't think so. From behind, Principal Strickland, played once again by James Tolkien, holds a shotgun in front of Marty. Marty tries to explain who he is, but Strickland doesn't because, because uh, Marty looked like a slacker. That is true. Marty tells him he goes to the, to the same school, to Hill Valley High School, although Strickland admitted that the school burnt down years ago due to this apocalypse. A car gang of slackers shows up for a shootout. Thankfully, no one was shot. Strickland goes out, goes out on the run to shoot them down while Marty runs into the heart of Hill Valley that has a different name. It turns out Hill Valley was burnt into Hell Valley where we get to see the dark side of 1985. That's right, folks. Welcome to Hell Valley where Hill Valley is turned into a war zone full of motorcycles, cars, tanks, and chaos. Your leader of this chaos is the casino president himself, the legendary Biff Tannen, who now runs a casino hotel with a, with a power plant called Bithco. Hell Valley, the town that is hell. By the way, we do get a hint of part three where we see a shot of Buford Mad Dog Tannen on one of the TV screens. But things took a turn where Match, 3D, and Skinhead, played once again by Billy Zing, Casey Sismasco, and J.J. Cohen as they capture Marty the easy way and took him upstairs to the 27th floor. Up on the 27th floor, Marty wakes up to see his mom, Lorraine, who, uh, to put it politely, looks totally different. Biff walks up, walks up to the room and gets into an argument with Lorraine about not sending Marty to a boarding school in Switzerland. But the money went down the drain for that. Man, talk about abusing your power, Biff. Marty tries to stop this argument, but Biff intervenes and thinks that Marty wants to take a punk at him, meaning he, meaning Marty wants to pick a fight with him. Lorraine's about to leave Biff, only for him, only for him to bring up the kids to be caught off as a threat. Lorraine changes her mind and stays. As for Marty, I'll be back up here in an hour, so you better not be. Meaning that Biff wants Marty out of here. Marty begs and asks his mom about George McFly. Lorraine tells him that George is at Oak Park Cemetery. Yep, it's about to be that time, folks. Marty runs to the cemetery to find George and finds a tombstone saying that George McFly died in 1973. Meaning that Biff forced Lorraine for marriage. Like I said, abusing your power. Doc comes from behind and invites, invites Marty to his lab. Doc brought two things to the lab. The top of Biff's cane and a bag with the receipt for the sports almanac. Red flag in the air, folks. Doc draws a timeline of 1985 and 2015 because old Biff somehow went back in time to give the sports almanac to the other Biff, who just altered 1985. On top of that, Doc Brown pulls out a newspaper that shows that Doc is arrested and going to a crazy asylum. And by the way, Marty d does grab his father's, uh, the newspaper showing, uh, showing George McFly being uh, killed. Marty knew he screwed up. Okay, now you're, now you're realizing that, Marty, because he was the one that bought the sports almanac. So, what does Marty do? Either A, forget about it, B, Marty asks Biff about the almanac, C, go back in time, or D, 
both B and C. If your answer was D, you're right, because it is also both B and C. Marty goes back to the casino hotel to talk to Biff about the sports almanac. Biff tells Marty that he got it on November 12, 1955 from a crazy old man after he got his car from the shop. An old man Biff tells the other Biff about the almanac and tells him that he can be rich by betting on the winner and never lose. Just as long as he keeps it a secret. And someday, before old Biff leaves, someday there is this crazy wild-eyed scientist and a kid may show up asking about that book. And if that happens, yep, oh boy, Biff pulls out a gun. Marty runs out the door to the top of the tower as he is cornered by Biff and his gun. But Biff decides to drop a secret that he was the one that killed Marty's father. Two McFly's with the same gun. Marty jumps off the building and comes back up standing on the DeLorean. The DeLorean's car knocks knocks Biff out cold. Marty tells Doc that we need that we need to go back to 1955 to get the sports almanac. Oh boy. Yep. Okay, folks. I think I know why this film got a mixed reception. Many people didn't see the 1985 setting being altered in a dark turn because of how Marty screwed it up by, by buying the sports almanac. And to be fair, though, it is a nice turn, knowing that the time traveling does have his weakness. Also, not, every, not everyone was expecting a sequel, too. But back then, some audiences didn't understand it either. But I feel like the altered 1985 is, is a nice addition to the sequel, even, even if it was under wraps. And this is exactly why... Spoilers. November 12th, 1955. Doc and Marty arrive to Hill Valley. Marty goes into the neighborhood looking like a 1950s detective as he is looking for Biff at, at the house that turns out to be Biff's house. Biff walks out the door because he is going to get his car from the shop. While Biff is walking, Marty sees Biff's daily routine. Basically... Knowing he's a bully, Biff is definitely the bully, so that's why he is messing with kids, poking fun of people, and probably throwing their favorite ball into one of their houses and flipping flipping one of their hats off. Biff comes to the to the car repair shop to get his car, but realizes that Terry, the car repairman, charges Biff three hundred bucks. Three hundred bucks. Biff thinks it's bullcrap, but but. But here's the reason why he thinks it's bullcrap, because it had a couple of dents. But Terry says that if there wasn't any horse crap in the car, a.k.a. manure, because of how messed up it is. And, and FYI, future Biff is there, but uh, Marty sneaks, in, sneaks into Biff's car in the back. Biff sees the other Biff, uh, the 1955 Biff sees Lorraine getting her dressed for the dance, but decides to go harass her. Thankfully, Lorraine hits Biff in the head with the box and, he and heads, back to, heads back to his car and met his future self. Biff is so surprised that even his future self calls him butthead. Do you know how funny that is when, when his future self actually mocks his, his past self? The way how future Biff poke, pokes fun of his self-past... And old man Biff drives his counterpart home to give him the sports almanac, and the rest is history. FYI, Marty is stuck in Biff's garage for sneaking into Biff's car. I'm just surprised that Biff doesn't even notice that. 
Later that night, Biff and Marty go to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance while Doc rode a bicycle to rescue Marty. Little does he know, he rode past Marty. Marty calls Doc on walkie-talkies to let him know that he is, he is in the back of Biff's car on their way to the dance. Doc tells Marty to get the almanac from Biff once he gets there. Marty gets to the dance, but Biff still has the almanac. And avoiding events like, like trying not to run into his mother, father, and other self. Somehow, the slack-hating Principal Strickland catches Biff reading the sports almanac, or is it? And takes it for him because, you know, slacker. Marty follows Strickland to his office where he is reading and spying on the students who are coming and going to the dance. A couple of attempts later, Marty finally gets the almanac. Don't worry, folks. Strickland leaves the office, though. But it turns out Biff switched the top cover of a ooh-la-la magazine. Ooh-la-la! 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 Yep, that is definitely a panic from Marty. As he contacts Doc through the walkie-talkie to let him know that he lost the, ma lost the almanac because he still has the cover for it. Somehow, through archive footage, Marty sees his old man, old man George McFly taking on Biff, and BAM! Knockout! George McFly wins. Marty walks over to, Marty walks over to see a knocked out Biff, surrounded by people as he knows how to do CPR. Biff wakes up. Here is a question. What's CPR? Biff answers, YOU! BAM! Biff is knocked out again. Marty takes a sports almanac from Biff and tries to escape, but Biff's cohorts run after Marty through the dance. The, th the, th the three see Marty, Marty on stage with a different outfit, so they decide to go after that Marty while the other Marty has a plan to knock out the three. And he did, backstage. Marty escapes, but Biff stops him, who is about to give Marty a beating. Marty tries to escape, but Biff calls him chicken. Marty trying... Marty tries to stand up to Biff, but gets a door beating by the other Marty, and Biff gets the almanac. Biff drives off with the almanac, and Doc finally arrives to pick up Marty. Marty and Doc fly into the air to follow Biff driving home. Marty pulls out his hoverboard to hover past Biff, Biff's car to get the sports almanac. Biff notices Marty, and it all leads to an intense sequence where Marty and Biff are fighting over the almanac while dodging a manure truck. It's about to be that time, folks. Marty gets the almanac, but he realizes that he is at the far end of, end of the tunnel. He tries to hover as fast as he can, but Biff is trying to floor Marty. A light comes on and a string of flags come to the ground as Doc rescues Marty while Biff crashes into a manure truck. Manure! I hate manure! Yep, you knew that was coming, folks. I really, really love how Biff tries to stop Marty, even though after every attempt, he fails and crashes into something that relates to manure. <laughs> Marty and Doc return to the farmlands where Marty burns the sports almanac using Biff's light matches that he stole from the alternate 1985. The matches changes to auto detailing and the newspaper that Marty has changes from George McFly dead to George McFly honored. Doc's newspaper changes too. Everything is back to normal. A lightning bolt because because uh, this is also the the same day where the light where the lightning strike hits. 
A lightning bolt strikes the DeLorean, which has Doc inside, and went back in time. Where did he go exactly? Well, there was an accidental time switch to September 1885, thanks to a letter that Western Union delivers to Marty in a downpour. Marty returns to the heart of Hill Valley, where he meets up with the, with the 1955 Doc. Doc is surprised because he just sent the other Marty back to the future, but Marty is back from the future. Great Scott! Doc faints and the film ends on a cliffhanger for the trilogy to be concluded. And there you have it, folks. That is my review of Back to the Future Part 2. What do you guys think? Was there anything that I missed? Do you think the sequel still holds up? Here's the thing. Almost 31 years later, I believe Back to the Future Part 2 still holds up. It is a great sequel, though, to an amazing trilogy. The direction was good. The story was good. The acting is spot on, particularly Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox, and Thomas F. Wilson. The music score is also good, too, etc. I can understand why some people's reactions were mixed when it first came out in 1989. Nobody was expecting a dark turn to the 1985 alternate, uh, alternate reality and the idea of a sequel in general. Okay, okay, okay. We can argue that a lot of people were expecting a sequel after the first film. However, in 2018, Bob Gale said that nobody was expecting an altered 1985 and no one was ready for it. And to be th fair, though, that is true, which is exactly why scenes are kept under wraps before the film's release. Overall, I consider Back to the Future Part 2 a flawed but, but amazing follow-up to the original film. Next week, I will be concluding early of Back to the Future Month with Back to the Future Part 3. Thank you for tuning into Kodo Cinema. I'm your host, the man, the myth, the legend, Mark Kodo. Remember to watch movies and stay positive. To be concluded. <laughs>